You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of a 19-year-old boy with autism. Attending an IEP meeting may very well be a daunting, if not intimidating, experience for families. With so much potentially on the line for a student's academic future, understanding what the document is calling for and suggesting is something that parents need to fully understand. Today, I talked with psychologist Dr. Marta M. Shen about the IEP, strategies for annotating and making sense of it, and where to focus your first read and how to best follow up after you agree to sign it. We finish with a quick conversation about what to do if the IEP team feels a child is not even eligible for an IEP. Enjoy the conversation. Dr. Marta Shin, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here, Michael. Well, we're going to talk about a variety of things today, and we thought we'd start with just the IEP itself. As a parent, let's say it's the first time I've gone to an IEP meeting, it probably, or actually even more likely, will be an overwhelming document of 30-plus pages that I uh, want to look at. Mm-hmm. And can you help me, before I decide to sign or not sign it, what are some strategies I should use or could use to help me just deal with all of that? Well, I'll just start out by saying that you're so right. This is an overwhelming document, not because of, if for no other reason, because it contains information that um, in a format that you're not normally as a parent used to seeing and you have to digest it. A lot of parents report to me and it's been my experience um, working with families and attending a million IEPs myself that usually the parent gets the draft IEP right at the meeting. And like you said, this is a 30 page document and they're expected to follow along and digest it, you know, mentally and emotionally at the same time. And so what I recommend parents do is by the end of the IEP, of course, you can ask questions as you go along, but like all very important meetings, it's not until you leave the meeting and you're in the comfort of your own home and you've decompressed and you're not in the tension of the moment that you realize like, oh my gosh, I don't know this. I should have asked that. And then that's where the, you know, proverbial panic sets in where you have to figure out like, okay, I have to make an important decision about my kid. So how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And so some important things to be aware of are that the IEP document has a cover page. And in those those first couple pages have some very basic information about your child, their name, their date of birth. So it starts off easy, your information, your home address, the dates of the meeting, Um, And Mm -hmm. then if your child was eligible, it'll say why or under what category of special education they were eligible for. That's typically found on the first page. And then there's in the next pages, there's some like basic medical information that's typically filled out um, by a nurse. And I just want to also say, um, Michael, ahead of time is that these, I'm just saying this generally, but every IEP document is very different in terms of the format that the districts use. So sometimes Uh. I've seen information that I typically see toward the beginning or the middle of the end and a different placement um, and other people's uh, IEP documents. So you'll want to know that these are important areas, but just know that um, it, it could be in a different location in the IEP that you're looking at. But those first couple pages are usually the most crucial because it, huh. it basically the if you if you look at the IEP like a sandwich, the two buns, the beginning and the end, are the most important. And then that middle piece has a lot of good meaty information. 
that you're going to want to digest. But if you want to know the key things, look at the top two pages and look at like the last few pages. Um, that's really, really helpful uh, because those top pages tell you, okay, what was the outcome of the meeting in terms of your child's eligibility? And then those final pages are the notes of the meeting. And in the notes of the meeting, it kind of describes exactly what happens. You know, the, the note taker of the meeting typically wrote down highlights of the things that were discussed by all the members of the mm-hmm. IEP team throughout the meeting. And then those very final pages are just signature pages, which hopefully you held off on signing until you had an opportunity to read it because you for any document we don't really want to sign it unless we've read it um and that's the main thing that i recommend to parents which is easy to think of but so hard to do you there's just so much with an iep document that you're like i don't even know where to start so i haven't even read the thing so i understand you know we should you should look at the beginning you look at the end maybe you should do it in that order but then later you can at least have to go through everything else and you had some strategies we talked about before the show on a good way to deal with that yeah so typically when parents get the iep draft um they receive it in one of two ways. One, they receive a hard copy at the meeting, but nowadays a lot of information is shared digitally from the districts. And so parents usually receive the draft via email. And so with the paper one, of course, you can write in the margins, but if you can get it digitally or scan it for yourself, I like to use the sticky note feature on PDF um, where you can sort of put a little sticky note there where you have a question and literally go through that middle part. Remember I said, read the beginning, read the end so that you read the meeting notes and you read Mm -hmm. the cover page with the eligibility. But in the middle is sort of the meat and potatoes, the goals, the findings and all that sort of information. And that's really dense and you're, and parents usually feel overwhelmed to go through that and they don't know where to start. So I recommend read it slowly and write yourself notes, sticky notes with questions that you would have asked in the meeting, things that you're reflecting about. Usually when you have a question about one thing that relates to something else that you're worried about for your child. And then that could be something that then if they're meeting with me, they can discuss with me and I can give them input on, or it can be the point of conversation that they also have with the district personnel. Um, And district personnel are happy to answer those types of parent questions. Um, because that that lets them know, wow, you, they took the time to write this very thorough document for you, and you're taking mm-hmm. the time to really ask some detailed questions to help them expand on what they were thinking, what was meant. And the other important reason why uh, that should be done by parents is because sometimes there are typos, and sometimes there are just errors that are inaccurate information about your child. Like a number got transposed and your child's date of birth was off, or they reported that the second grade teacher was Mrs. So-and-so, and and it was instead Mm -hmm. Mrs. Thus-and-such, and and they got the second and fourth grade teacher mixed up. It's a, a simple sort of error, but it's an important thing because the teacher correlates with the report card that correlates with that academic year. And so having those things aligned um, is important, but only you as a parent really remember who was the second grade teacher. And if you are doing the IEP in a building different than the building where your child attended second grade, that's really information that the educators who drafted the IEP document really wouldn't know. 
when I'm looking at an IEP, at what point should I think maybe I should consult with a psychologist? I mean, what, what would there be red flags that would come up, or it's, it's, it would, might be hard to tell as a parent of whether this is fine or I should get some more help. Mm-hmm. Is there any suggestions you could have for people? Yeah, I mean, on the IEP team, the a psychologist or school psychologist is a required member of the IEP team. So all IEP teams have a district assigned school psychologist. So there is always a psychologist involved. Um, But whether or not the parent of the child student who's being helped uh, feels that they were able to communicate effectively with their assigned psychologist, that their questions were answered satisfactorily, um, that they feel understood by their IEP team, those questions and how a person, how a parent answers those questions is then what determines if they need an additional outside psychologist. But a psychologist is already a member of the team that's an included person that is a service that is part of public education. And there's no need for parents to really pay for private psychologists unless they have a really good reason to say, you know what, I I really need a second opinion. And so that's that's really what parents should be sort of being self-reflected. Am I feeling that my school psychologist and the members of my IAP team that I have a sense of comfort of asking them certain questions? And are they being responsive to those questions? Do they have the time? A lot of the time why parents come to see me independently is because, you know, I, I, I have reached out to my psychologist, but they're only at my child's building once or twice a week. And they're a lovely person and very helpful, but I don't think they're sufficiently available for when I can meet. Or they are available, but they're available during school hours. And I really need to meet with a psychologist after hours because of my work schedule. So sometimes it's those types Mm. of logistics that would prompt a parent to say, I I really need to meet with someone who can meet with me after school hours or to accommodate my work schedule who could really help me digest this document and make sense of it. So that's one reason. Um, The other thing is parents usually are... um, there are certain feelings that they have as they hear news about their child and they may be having a strong internal reaction and you're not necessarily wanting to have that meltdown in front of your child's second grade teacher (laughs) and in front. If you can hold back. If you can hold back. I mean, you still have the tears, but you don't want to necessarily process that. I mean, sometimes you have a rapport with them that you could process that, but sometimes you really want somebody that's going to, that's, an objective, non-included party to say, okay, let's talk about how that made you feel that your child has these unique needs and that they're going to require interventions. Um, And so that could be an indicator. So I tell parents, if you find that you're not even present fully or you're semi-present or you left meetings and you're like, what happened? That's a good indicator. Like, okay, you need someone who is, not emotionally connected to the situation to help you process and digest what your IEP document says, what your evaluations say, and to help you strategize what to do with this information. Why is this meaningful to you as a parent? The school's job is to tell you 
what they think their role is in terms of educating your child. And you also have to think through, well, what does this information mean for me as a parent in terms of the hopes, dreams, expectations that I have for my child? Am I still going to be able to accomplish that? That's not the kind of conversation that there's mm-hmm. always really a space for in an IEP meeting because it's, it's intended to digest or to review the data that's available and to make educational decisions such as developing goals and such as thinking about placements and services and accommodations and all the sort of elements that go into preparing um, an IEP so that it's really individualized and it's a program of instruction that's unique to your child. Dr. Shen, we're coming towards the end of our time here, and I wanted to focus on after the IEP for a Mm -hmm. moment. So... uh, let's say a family has come to you and you and the family have all agreed, hey, yeah, that's a pretty good IEP document. Uh, Let's move forward with this. What do you see families do that, what sort of things can a family member do or a family do that will help them be successful or that you've seen in your experience creates more success opportunities for their child based on what they've learned in the IEP? Well, if, if, if we've already reviewed it, well, first and foremost, I want to say this. Parents should... For the most part, unless they've thoroughly reviewed the IEP before the meeting, should not hold a meeting and sign it on the same day. Not because they don't agree, okay. not because they're not there's, suspicious. There's no reason you, yeah, there's no reason you have to. But often uh, some schools would right, like to you might as well take the time. It's really a headache to try to coordinate to get everybody to the meeting. So if, sure. if you're willing to sign, they'll accept your signature because it, it's, it's a lot of coordination to get all the people in the room and to get all the signatures. And they have mm-hmm. to follow these strict timelines that they're trying to adhere to as well to get things done in a certain time frame. But I would say first and foremost, unless you really reviewed it thoroughly ahead of time, do not sign the IEP, take it home, follow that sticky note procedure, write notes, write questions, view the IEP document as a draft. Once you have a draft that you're happy with, um, then I want to have, I recommend that parents have a conversation with their IEP team about how will we monitor that this is working and that my child is responding well to this. And the typical answer to that is, oh, well, we're going to have a follow-up IEP um, and naturally you'll have an annual IEP. But if you made a very big shift, especially if it's an initial placement in your child's education, you don't really want to let that much time Mm -hmm. go. You really want to have a meeting probably 60 days in. And some educators may feel like, well, but that may not be enough time to see how things are working. That's okay. We may not have time for something, but usually by 30 or 60 days, if something's really, really not working, it's glaringly obvious. And so I encourage people yeah. to have a brief meeting, 30 to 60 days, right after that um, initial IEP when their child first gets placed to see how it's coming along and or even if it's a renewal IP where it's the time of the triennial and let's say a big change in placement occurred, it's really important for parents to mm-hmm. reconvene with the IEP team and, and assess how it's working because that's the best time to you sort of tweak things and make changes is right in the beginning instead of letting things spiral and the parent gets content with this idea. Well, I haven't had any calls that something's going wrong, so it must mean it's going right. That's not necessarily true and I, I don't advise that you wait for things to go wrong, but rather that you respond, be proactive about tracking progress. I love that idea. You know, as a teacher myself, if I knew 60 days in, I was having another meeting. I mean, I may not have date, that much data collected, but I certainly would have an anecdotal sense of whether it was working or not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
and and just to check in and you know some people would say well is it just enough to like I normally see the teacher you know when I drop my kid off if I just talk to them does that count is that what you mean and no that's not what I mean I mean go ahead and reconvene the IEP team um, yeah, it's different. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and a formal IEP me- meeting means that you document your discussion. Um, there's a lot of conversations that teachers sort of have on the fly, and you have on the fly with the teacher, and those are great and helpful, and those should be done in addition. But that's totally different than the formal process of the IEP um, and the revision of the IEP document, and making sure that you're sort of in that sweet spot of. You you are confident and you're sure that your child has the right um, services and the right accommodations and that they're being implemented and tracked in a way that you understand and that your child is benefiting from and that you know how they're benefiting from. Um, that That's really what's key. Mm-hmm. And then that that's what's going to decrease parental stress because... That's what I care most about as a child psychologist and educational psychologist that's functioning outside of the school district system in private practice. I really want to see that parents have a good sense of understanding and about what their child's educational placement looks like and what their educational trajectory is Mm -hmm. and that they have a... um, and a emotional sense about it that they feel on an emotional level. Like I, I feel confident that this is a good decision and that their sense of stress and ambivalence about that is significantly decreased. Um, because it's, it's one of the key reasons I see parents just parental stress about my gosh, I, I don't even know if my kid is on track anymore and I don't know what to do about it. So parents should leave the IEP process and be participants in such a way that they have a sense of confidence that they know mentally, mentally and emotionally that they're making the right educational decisions for their child. And would you, anything else that you'd like to add? Any uh, last suggestions you could give to families on the, on the way out? Um, I would just make a last point because I know we talked about it a little bit ahead of time. And one of the concerns that sometimes mm-hmm. happened, we played out the scenario together of a case where we had an evaluation, a comprehensive assessment done by the school, and the outcome was eligibility and how to go through that process of reviewing the IEP and being an effective member of the IEP team. But there are other times where you go through that entire process of evaluation and then the decision per the IEP team is that the child is not eligible. And so I would just advise if you have the outcome of ineligibility, do not lose hope, do not view that as final, take the time to still go through the evaluations and see if you agree with those, what things you agree, what things you disagree, what questions you have pending, and then think about how you can reconvene with the educators to discuss your questions. Because oftentimes people are willing to relook at it if you you either provide new information or if you um, uh, ask new questions that maybe weren't asked as part of the previous evaluation. Um, So that could be part of it. And and other times it may be an indicator that you need to get an independent evaluation. And so I know independent evaluations are perhaps a topic for a different um, episode, but um, that's the the only other piece of advice is, yes, if if you have the outcome of your child was eligible, then be diligent about going through the steps we discussed. But if not, then you can still kind of go through your results and, and determine if you need to reconvene either with your current IEP team 
who did the assessment or if you should have someone independent look at it for a second opinion. Dr. Chen, thanks so much for your time today and for sharing all this uh, helpful information. Of course. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.